and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. I want to start today with a prayer. Um, it's a prayer many of you are familiar with, um, one that many of you learned as a children, maybe even in Sunday school. This was a prayer I learned at my best friend's house. They would do these nightly family devotions. And uh, whenever I'd spend the night, I'd hear their entire family pray this. Um, So go ahead and pray along with me, if you know it, on Father's Day. Our unsearchable God who art in heaven, hallowed... Wait, that's not it, is it? Um, uh, Maybe it was... Oh, yeah. Our holy and righteous God... No, that's right. Um, He is a holy and righteous God, but I think I've got it. I've got it now. Our Lord Almighty who art in... No... Our King of Glory who art in heaven, our omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent being who art in heaven. Yeah, none of those are quite right. Um, They're all true, and they all describe uh, our God, but they're not how Jesus taught us to pray. Let's look at Matthew 6, 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name. That just means your name is holy. Your name is set apart. You see it right there, though, friends. Jesus wanted us to pray primarily. He wanted us to relate to this being in heaven primarily as God our Father, the unsearchable, holy, righteous, Lord Almighty, King of glory, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God. Jesus wants us to relate to him as a child does with his loving Father. And this changes everything. I don't know if you see it yet. And this is my prayer today that you would see just how revolutionary this is. This is planet shaking. This is life changing. The God over all the universe is our Father. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So I want you to know how truly happy I am for you when I say Happy Father's Day. We're talking about our Heavenly Father today um, on Father's Day, but let's get some pleasantries out of the way. Would you just do me a favor? Find a dad next to you. um, Tell him Happy Father's Day. Maybe text your dad right now. Do it right now. Go. Happy Father's Day. That's bumbling a lot. I get you. A little bit better. Yeah, cool. Well... I'm Jeff Lorimer. I'm the spiritual growth pastor here at Bent Tree Church. And that title means that though you primarily see me on Sundays, I actually do some stuff around here during the week. So what is this stuff I do, you ask? Um, I manage our spiritual growth division, which means I oversee our groups and I oversee our generations ministry. So while I've got your attention today, um, and before we get too far in today's message, I just want to give you a little recap of how everything's going in our groups, how everything's are going with our uh, our generations ministries. Um, firstly, let's talk about our generations ministry. It's really starting to take shape. Seriously, after launching in March, if you remember, um, with COVID, we were limited in our ability to offer any sort of kids or students programming. So we took a whole year, we took a whole year during the pandemic to redesign our ministry. And as a team, we came away with a vision for a ministry that isn't segmented into kids and youth. Uh, 
it's a ministry that gets 0 to 18 years old, all under the same umbrella. A ministry that doesn't just provide child care on Sundays and Wednesday nights, but it's one that engages and equips parents as the primary disciple makers. It's one that rallies parents, volunteers, um, students together towards the goal, the value that we have here at Bentry Church of generational faith. So, to rally those teams of volunteers, um, we've hired Maddie Lenner as our children's coordinator, and we're working on bringing in a student coordinator uh, right now to lead our D3 groups for students. I am really looking forward to the fall when we get to uh, start school and launch multiple D3 student groups. So just stay tuned. We will have more news about that in the future. So that's one half of what I do. I oversee our generations ministry. But the other half of what I do is I oversee our D3 groups, our groups ministry. And right now, I just want to take a second and celebrate our D3 groups and our leaders. They do so much throughout the week. They generously give of their own time and resources to shepherd and lead and disciple our people. They're an army of little P pastors. Can we actually give them a round of applause? They're awesome. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate you guys a lot. Um, We currently have about 12 D3 groups with about 30 leaders or co-leaders or hosts. And I've got to tell you, I think the world of these guys, um, I'm so grateful for them. They're the largest group of lay leaders in our entire church. They're the critical layer of leadership between um, our pastors and our people. I tell them all the time, they're the fruit in my Chantilly cake. I know that's weird, but that just means I just think they're the world. I think um, they're they're awesome, all right? They are all about, I actually think they're the most important group of people we've got in our church here that help people find and follow Jesus, and that's our mission here. So I want to ask you a favor as I wrap up this recap. If you are grateful for your leaders, if you're grateful for your kids' teachers, can you just make sure and show them your appreciation? Um, Send them a thank you note, uh, buy them birthday gifts, take your Sunday school teacher's coffee. They love Starbucks. Um, So seriously, let's build a culture of gratitude, of gratefulness um, here at Bentry. Um, If it's not Starbucks, it could be, I don't know, Slurpees? Whatever you say. (laughs) No? Okay. Just money. Anyway. All right. Um, With that said, let's talk about dads. Let's talk about our Heavenly Father and Father's Day. I became a dad about six years ago uh, when my oldest daughter, Natalia, was born. I still remember the day when we drove her home from the hospital. I I can't believe they just wheel you out the front door and help you put the baby in the car and then send you off. (laughs) Like... You realize I got a human being in the back seat, right? Like, I've never had one of those before. Um, I just remember driving home so slowly. And that's a big deal for any of you who know me because I have such a lead foot. Um, but being a father, it's, uh, it's the most terrifying um, yet gratifying responsibility in the whole world. I mean, you've got a human being entrusted to you for everything it needs. It is so scary, but it's such an honor. And that baby is so sweet, until it gets an attitude. Am I right? Can I get an amen for that? Like, the terrible twos just turn into the tornado threes, and before long, they're wanting you to stay in the car while they walk themselves into music lessons with Miss Annie. Um, That's Natalia now. She wants me to stay in the car. She doesn't want dear old dad to walk her to the door, and it just seems to go by so fast sometimes. Treasure it, Wileys. Treasure it, parents. Um, It goes by so fast, but it also goes by so slow sometimes. Um, Long days fast years. Right, dads? Long days and fast years. And you'll never believe what my daughter came home and told me just the other day when she got home from preschool. She walks in the door, grabs me by the shoulders, and she says, Daddy, did you know I have another daddy? And my jaw's like, what? 
what's going on? Uh, I would have freaked out if my wife hadn't been like giggling over in the corner. I asked my daughter, what are you talking about? I'm your only daddy. And she points up to the sky and says, no, I've got a daddy in heaven. Mm, there is never a dull day with kids though, right? Uh, I love my kids so much. I'd do anything for them. But it is hard sometimes being a dad. Yeah? Um, I think the difficulty inherent in being a dad is something that we all understand at some level. Um, Because, yeah, most of you have had a dad. And no matter what your history is with your father, like, you can recognize that being a dad is no easy task. Um, It breaks my heart that some guys aren't up to the challenge because, truly, though it's the hardest job in the world, it's the most rewarding one on earth. Um, I don't know where you're coming from today. I don't know your daddy issues. We've all got them. And I don't know how you feel about your dad, but I want to share one thing we all have in common. It's the one thing we can all celebrate this Father's Day. It's our Father in heaven. First verse I want to look at today comes from James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Praise our Father in heaven who doesn't change with the changing of times. The one from whom all good and perfect gifts come to us. He's the one who doesn't always give us what we want or ask for. He's the one who always gives us exactly what we need. And that's from James 1 17. Check out this one from Numbers 23. God is not a man that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and then not fulfill? I am so grateful. I'm so grateful, and I hope you are too, for our Heavenly Father who always keeps his promises, who never changes his mind, who never lies, never deceives, who pours out grace and mercy to us, our undeserving, uh, us undeserving children. Um, I'm so grateful that we've got that second daddy in heaven and we can have a relationship with him through his only begotten son, Jesus. So, no matter what your daddy issues are, and like I said, we've all got them, all believers have a father in heaven that's on our side. He's showing up for us, teaching us, guiding us, uh, loving us, even through all our shortcomings and faults. He is not far off. He is not distant. He's not disengaged. He's not some absentee dad that gave you life and then walked out. He is here. He is <laughs> He's near today, and he wants us to know him. So, I want to take a second. I actually want to pray um, our Father. Um, I'm going to start off with that prayer. You guys know it. Um, Some of you may not, and that's okay. Um, You can go look it up maybe with your D3 group. It's in Matthew 6. But um, would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And God, let's just keep praying here. God, thank you for being our heavenly father. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for speaking to us, for giving us your word. Um, And now help us to hear the truth of your word and do what you say. Help us fall more in love with you. Move us, convict us, change us today. Father, this Father's Day, we love you, Dad. Um, In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if I can speak really frankly here, uh, I want to give you the big question for the day. Why do we need a Father in heaven? Like, wrestle with this question. Um, What does it matter that God is our Dad if we've never actually seen Him? Like, does it matter that he says he's our father if he's invisible? I need you to wrestle with this question because, man, this sets up the entire message. 
Why should you care that you have a father in heaven if you've never seen him at one of your softball games? If he's never been at one of your award ceremonies? What does it matter that you have a father in heaven if he's never been there for you? Especially if you feel like he wasn't there for you when you needed him the most. Friends, I think it's normal to have trust issues with God the Father. um, Especially if you don't have a great dad. And so... um, If life hasn't been going the way you want it to, I get your trust issues. If you're just kicking the tires of faith, I get it. Um, Friends, I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know how you feel about this all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God. But no matter what you think about Him, Jesus calls us to relate to Him as our Father. So Jesus was teaching his disciples. They asked, hey, how, do we, how should we pray? This is something we ought to do, right? Um, and he's like, yeah, this is what you should do when you pray. The expectation is you're praying regularly. Our Father in heaven, your name's holy. Hallowed be your name. And I think it's no small coincidence that Jesus wants us to relate to the vast, unsearchable, limitless, indescribable God of heaven. He wants us to relate to him as our Father. Here's why, in my opinion. Fatherless people are desperate people. If you've got notes, uh, if you're writing stuff down, um, write this down because here's the truth. We are a desperate, broken people when we are disconnected from our Heavenly Father. And I'm not trying to put a label on you with this. I'm not trying to say, um, if you don't have a dad, um, I'm not trying to, like, whatever, say you're defective. But here's the thing that we all know to be true. The people without dads are desperate people in one way or another. Seriously, we can look at the statistics all day about children that grow up in fatherless homes, um, but you know the story they tell. Um, I know the story well. I was a teacher for 12 years, and I saw the fatherless kids, and I know that the kids who grow up without a dad in their life, they're going to have an uphill battle in front of them. You know it deep in your heart, the incredibly important role that fathers play in the role of their kids, or in the life of their kids. And um, just a little sidebar here, single moms, completely regardless of how they got that way, they're going to have their hands full, so they need the church's love and support. Again, we as a church, we need to be fathers to the spiritual orphans in our community, and we got to love those single moms, no matter how they got that way, because here's something biblical for you. True religion, one that God honors is pure and blameless, is one that takes care of the fatherless because truly the fatherless they're desperate and praise god that he doesn't leave them in that place god fathers the orphan you guys remember the lyric his kindness makes us whole and he shoulders our weakness and his strength becomes our own we sang that today on purpose it's my second daughter maya it's her favorite song but um i believe the truth of that song he fathers the orphan No matter where you're coming from, we are all spiritual orphans, apart from a connection with our Heavenly Father. You're not defective if you don't have a dad, but here's the truth that I want to capture every single one of us. All of us are in a desperate place when we're not intimately connected with our Father. We're desperate for a connection to our Father, but the world doesn't think so, does it? I think the world's actually trying to get rid of dads actively. The world doesn't think you need a connection to your Heavenly Father more than a flashlight needs to be connected to a wall socket. But here's the truth. You ain't a flashlight. You're a floor lamp. And you need to be connected to your Heavenly Father. Um, As an example, I can think about the vast numbers of children that grow up without fathers, like boys that grow up without fathers. They're more likely to end up in prison for violent crimes because what do fathers do? They teach boys how to live with a spirit of power and self-control and how to love properly, how to properly love other human beings. And girls that grow up without fathers, they're more likely, not saying all of them, but they're more likely to be sexually promiscuous because fathers teach daughters how they're supposed to be loved, how they deserve to be treated 
how to bond in a healthy way with the opposite sex. We all need dads. We need our heavenly dad. And without a connection to our father in heaven, we're just as likely to be violent, destructive men. We're just as likely to be despairing, desperate women. We need our heavenly father. So, I know many of us... um, we have a wrong view of uh, who our Father in Heaven truly is. We transfer all the faults and failings and traumas from our he- earthly dad to our heavenly dad. And one of these false views uh, of our Father in Heaven, when I see the world peddling around, um, is this view of God. God is some useless old fuddy-duddy that just wants to impose his rules and silly superstitions on you. And... Um, Here's how I see the world doing that. I think about how fathers are portrayed in popular culture. Um, dads of the likes of Homer Simpson and Phil Dumpy and Al Bundy, these dithering, dull, indecent idiots, um, bumbling buffoons, more beasts than men, useless old fogies, more trouble than they're worth. Culture would teach you to ignore your dad, to pay no attention to your father in heaven, too. The world teaches you to ignore the fool that goes to the factory every day. You need to go forth and forge your own path. Discover your own identity. Pay no heed to what your earthly or heavenly father says. Pay no heed to how your earthly, how your heavenly father created you. What does he know anyway? According to the world, autonomy. That's the answer. Dear old dad, he's nothing more than a fixture in your living room, useless as the couch cushion he sits on every day. But this is not who God is. This is not who God designed fathers to be. God is the antithesis of the TV sitcom dad. He's engaged. He's knowledgeable. He's involved. He's able to provide more than you can ask or imagine. And he always knows what's best. And honestly, I could sit up here for another three hours and quote scripture to you about how good our good, good father is. But I want to tell you a story today. And I need you to pay really close attention to the father in this story. This is a story about a dad whose son runs away and then his self-righteous brother who stays home. Um, Many of you know the story, but I need you to slow down. You could rush to the end, but don't. Experience this story anew. I need you to feel this story today. You need to feel the father's heartbeat as you listen. Like, lean in so close that you can hear the father's heartbeat. Pretty cool trick, huh? Anyway, um, our text today comes from Luke 15, uh, chapter, uh, yeah, chapter 15, not Matthew. If you've been around here for a while, you know that just as Paul is going through John and takes little detours every once in a while, um, I've been going through the Gospel of Matthew with you all, and I'm taking little detours. Here's one of my little detours. Um, I want to take a little break from Matthew to show you what I believe is the Bible's most vivid picture of who God the Father is. And more than tell you about our Father in Heaven, I need you to feel, I said it, but I really mean it. Um, Starting in verse 11, that's where we're going to pick up. If you've got your Bibles, get them out, please. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, look it up. Look it up online. The story is worth it. Before I even dive into the text, um, what you need to know is this story is about a lost kid. And that should trigger something in you, especially if you are a parent. Like mom, dad, you ever lost your kid before? How's that feel? Like you're in the grocery store and you're just trying to feel out the right affogato and then you get a text from your wife saying, um, don't forget about the milk. And then you respond to her text and then you look down and then what? Your child's gone. You stop feeling avocados real quick. All right? You stop everything. You drop your phone and your eyes go up like there's a fire and you're looking for the exit because finding your kid is the only thing that matters now. 
Nothing will take your eyes from the frantic pursuit of your child. Nothing else matters. And then when your kid like comes around the corner laughing, like, <laughs> parents, how does that make you feel? Like you go through the whole range of emotions from wanting to vomit to want to cry to want to spank them and then want to laugh with relief, like all at the same time. Nothing matters. <laughs> Nothing else matters when you've got a lost kid. And the feeling when you've got that kid back in your arms, it's indescribable. Those feelings, I need you to feel that today because we've got a lost son in this story. And I don't want you just to read the text and exegete the proper theological meaning. Yes, we could do that. But I need the truth of this text to rock you to your very core. I need you to feel the same way you would feel if you just lost, you found your lost kid. So if you've tuned out up to this moment, please like lean, listen up, lean in, all right? Um, pray that God opens the eyes of your heart to the gospel truth that's in this text even if you've heard it before. So, verse 11, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. Um, Again, we take things verse by verse here um, and word by word because there's so much to glean from every single verse, every single word in the Bible. And I want you to notice this word here, continued. Um, Jesus here, he's actually completing a trifecta of parables on lostness. So if you go back to the beginning of Luke 15, um, you'll see there's two parables right before this, one about a lost sheep and another one that deals with a lost coin. These three parables, they go together. They're a trio of teachings by Jesus on lostness. Um, And really, you should go read these stories in your D3 groups this week. That's where you go deep to grow deep roots with the message. And these roots will help you go reap a harvest for eternity. You guys see what I did there? You go deep to grow deep in order to go reap. All right. Um, You need to realize here that Jesus, though, he's tripling down on his point. I don't even know if that's a thing in poker. All right. Like doubling down. No, he is tripling down on his point. He's amplifying his message about lostness. And whenever Jesus repeats himself, especially a third time, you got to pay attention. So let's continue with Jesus and see what his point is about this man who had two sons, his father with his two boys. The younger one said to his father, father, Give me my share of the estate. It's like, give me my inheritance. Um, so he divided up his property between them. Don't let this verse pass you by because this verse is critical to the setup of Jesus' story. It's critical to seeing yourself in the story, to feeling how the father felt, feeling how the son felt. This isn't a simple, can I have my share of the estate early? This is a son saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. Like, seriously, this son is saying, Dad, I want what's eventually coming to me, and it's not coming quick enough, though. Honestly, Dad, I just wish you weren't around telling us all what to do, running the show. I wish I were in charge of my own destiny. I wish I had control. I just want my own autonomy to make my own decisions and plan out my own future with my own share of the money. Like, seriously, all due respect, Dad, it'd just be so much easier if you were gone. Like, so can I just have my share of the estate? Like, I hate to say it, I'm just tired of waiting for you to die. And what's crazy is the father gives his son the money. Like, he probably doesn't have all that money on hand, so he probably has to go sell some land. And then the father actually gives him his share of the inheritance, gives them the money and the freedom that he knows will wreck him. Like, who knows how the father felt at this minute, but it can't be good. Like, your kid ever said to you, I wish you were dead? Or on the flip side, have you ever thought, like, about your parents that you wish they were dead? Like, Guys, this needs to be getting real for you. 
Um, I know what family like. I know what families are like. I know what family dynamics are like in suburban America. I grew up here. I know that you don't have to try too hard to put yourself in the shoes of either the father or the son right now. Um, the story better be getting real for you guys real quick. Um, and like for me, being in the father's shoes, I wouldn't want to give the son anything. He just told me he wished I were dead. So I'd say, all right, you think life's better off without me? Go ahead, try it out on your own. I certainly wouldn't give him his half of the estate. Um, but that's not what the father does here. The father loves his son in the midst of his rebellion. Do you guys see the common grace there? Like, what's craziest about this is, like, I think the father knows that the son can't handle his own freedom. He knows the son is going to make some big mistakes um, when he gets what he wants. He's going to hurt himself, all right, when he goes out on his own with all that money. But the father loves him enough to let him go out. The father gave him that money and gave him that freedom knowing that he would fail, knowing that he'd fall from grace, knowing the trouble lay ahead for his headstrong younger son. Verse 13 Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, that is, his share of the estate. He set off for a distant country and there squandered, wasted, blew it all away, squandered his wealth in wild living. Um, You guys all know what wild living is. I don't have to describe it for you. You know exactly what wild living is. I do like, however, what the NASB calls this. The uh, New American Standard Bible translates this as loose living. Like... Hang loose. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just chillax. Enjoy life. Life was meant to be lived, not stressed about. And how many of us live like this or have lived like this? How many of us have just tried to chive on, guys? Enjoy life. Don't worry about finances or the future. Don't stress out. Hang loose. Live loose. This is what we do with autonomy in America. Seriously, I know because I've talked to people in our church. I've talked to you people about Financial freedom. That's what we call it, at least. And if you're not careful, it seems like some of us, what we're after is the same thing the sun is after. We're, we're after loose, easy breezy, laissez-faire living. We call it being financially stable. But you see what the text calls it? Squandered wealth. Loose living. Rebellion. The younger son is where all of us are sometimes. When he's finally free from his father's rules and restriction, he just wants to live his life paying no attention to what his wiser, loving father would have him do. You finally got all your money. You got all your ducks in a row. So now you can live like God doesn't matter. Like you don't need him anymore. This is a widespread lie in America, and I see it in this very church, that when you finally get where you're supposed to be going, when you finally accrue the wealth that you need to be financially stable, when you've stored it up enough money to last you through a comfortable retirement, that you can just live loose and easy. Your autonomy is an affront to God. This lie about loose living will ruin you. It'll make you think you don't need God. It'll make you think that if you can just buckle down, get to where you're going, right? if you can just save up enough money, you'll finally be able to do whatever you want. Well, read a little further. Let's see what actually happens when you live for yourself. After the son had spent everything, there was a severe famine. That means there wasn't enough food. There was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Make no mistake, the money will run out someday. There is a bottom to every beer bottle. There's a hangover for every night out. There's a day's cleanup for every night of loose living. The 
tab always comes due. There's always a consequence for every bad decision. There's always a price to be paid for living high off the hog. Do not lie to yourself. The high won't last forever. There will be a day when you will be in need. Remember when I said that fatherless people are desperate people? When you live for yourself, you eventually come to the end of yourself. And you'll reach a point of desperation just like this younger son. Where you'll be in need. There's one thing I know about Christianity. It's one thing I know about following God. It's the one reason why I chose to give control of my life to God. It's this. That we humans are really bad at making good decisions. I'll say it another way. We're really, we're really wrong about making the right call. At least when it comes to our own lives. We try all we want. We spin our wheels faster and faster. We break our backs just looking for breakthrough. And we will run ourselves into the ground trying to run our life according to plan. But eventually, we all fail. We all fall short. We'll all sell ourselves short. We'll underestimate our own abilities to provide for ourselves. And we're going to make a mess of our own lives. We're all in need. Just like the son in the story. Guys, I asked you to feel this story with me. So... Where do you feel most in need in your life? Where do you feel most desperate? Where do you feel like you've come to the end of yourself? Where do you need divine intervention? Seriously, answer that question in your head right now. Where are you most in need? I know I can answer it. I hope you can too. And here's the thing. We've all been there before. Um, and some of us are in our moments of deepest need right now. Um, and I'm hoping you're realizing that you're in need right now. That you feel in need just like the father, or just like the son does. So, what does the son end up doing in his need? He went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. He hired himself out. He made himself a slave. And he was feeding pigs. And this is the thing. This is where we all end up when we live for ourselves. When we pursue autonomy and abandon the rules of our father, we're going to hire ourselves out to the highest bidder. We'll end up just like the son. We'll be enslaved to the man or enslaved to someone else that we think can provide for us. Um, You don't need to raise your hand, but anyone out there feel like a slave? Like you're a slave to your job, a slave to your circumstances, a slave to your bad decisions, a slave to your regrets? Maybe a slave to fear or worry or anxiety. Like there's no escape from your life. This is where we all end up when we seek lives for when we seek life for ourselves. Here's the thing: anyone who seeks to gain life will lose it. Anyone who's out just to live easy will die hard. Anyone who's looking to live for themselves will have no thing and no one to show for themselves at the end of their life. You live for yourself, and you're gonna end up a slave to someone else. Here's what I know about humanity. We all, I mean all of us, use whatever free will we have to sin. This is where the path of autonomy leads us. And I truly say to you, this is the bottom line of the gospel truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Again, everyone that sins, that's everyone, is a slave to sin. Let's let's steep in that for a moment. Sink, like let that sink in. Feel with the son in the story. We've sought our own way. We think we've got it figured out. We know how to get maximum pleasure out of life. And just when we set out on our own way, we end up in a desperate place. Buyer's remorse. A place of regret. 
where we're enslaved by the freedom that we once so eagerly sought. Friends, feel the story with me. What's your deepest regret right now? That's where the sun is right now. And that's where you will end up when you seek your own way. You have no one but yourself to blame for your deepest regrets. I don't like saying that. I would love to just get up here and give you health and wealth and prosperity and happy-go-lucky sayings, but here's the truth, is that you've got no one but yourself to blame for all your deepest regrets. And honestly, if you're honest with yourself, you're a slave to your regrets, and they've got you in a hopeless place with no escape. And now, um, I usually wait till the end of whatever scripture passage I'm looking at to give you the main point, but um, I want to give you my main point, my bottom line right here. If you're not saved... You're enslaved. Again, if you're not saved, you're enslaved. Um, I don't rhyme to be pithy. These are just the things that I remember from whatever, from sermons before that I've heard. But it's the truth. This is the gospel truth. This is the way the Bible looks at people who don't entrust their lives to Jesus. You're a slave. There's nothing you can do to free yourself from your deepest regrets, the regrets that come from your own self-determinism. You're thinking that it's better to go your own way rather than submit to Jesus Christ and his loving Father in heaven? You're a slave. Like, don't fool yourself, dear Christian. I'm not just talking to non-believers here. I'm talking to Christians. Just because you prayed a prayer or said some words at church camp doesn't mean you won't go off on your own way at times. It doesn't mean that you don't sin and put yourself under, um, back under a yoke of slavery. Because everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And if you're not saved from your sin, you're enslaved to it. The younger son, he just longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. I said it already. You're alone. You alone are the one to blame for your deepest regrets. And just like the son, you will do anything to ease the hurt. You'll do anything to numb the pain. You'll cut yourself just to feel something else. You'll drink and drug. You'll sex and rock and roll. You'll do anything to get away from the glaringly painful reality of your life. You'll buy anything, settle for anything, do anything, but nothing fills the void inside of you. Just like the sun, we are all desperate for something sustaining. But luckily, all of us know there is a place where we are satisfied. When he came to his senses... Duh. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. Like, ah, father's house is so much better. So wayward soul. I need to tell you, you can come back to God. There is a place for you back home with the father. And no, I'm not just talking to non-believers here. I'm talking to all of us. We all go astray, but there's always a place for us in the father's house. There's love to spare. There's forgiveness to spare. There's more than enough grace and mercy to cover your sins. You need not stay in your self-made pig pen of worldly wealth. You can come home, dear child. You can come home. The son, he starts practicing his apology. He says, I'll set out and I'll go back to my father and I'm going to say this to him. I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And don't miss this verse child of God. There's a reason why I'm going word by word here. Notice the son is practicing his apology here and there's actual real repentance here, at least in my opinion. He notes that it's not just he's sinned against his father, he's sinned against his heavenly father. He's sinned against heaven. It's not just sin against his fellow man, it's sin against 
the God of the universe. And the same is true for you. That the sins you've committed in your life, they haven't just been crimes against humanity, they've been crimes against heaven. We've all sinned against our Father in heaven. We sinned against Him when we abandoned His purpose for us, when we set out on our own way, when we took our money and our birthright and our common grace, and we told God, you know what? I'd rather do things my own way. We all do this at times. Friends, we'd rather be the masters of our own destiny. We'd rather God not be in charge. We'd rather us be in charge, do things our way. If there's anyone I can trust, it's myself, right? Before anyone else, we sin against our Father in heaven. This is where real repentance starts. Repentance that goes further than remorse and regret. It's a repentance that looks at heaven and said, I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. And so, just like the son in the story so aptly states, we're no longer worthy to be called children of God. Truly, in our sin... We're children of wrath. We're the objects of God's justice. We'd be lucky just to eat the scraps that fall off of Father God's table. So what did the son do? He got up. He left the pig pen of his own self-determinism and he turned his eyes toward his father's house. And um, before I read this next verse, I, um, I need to take a moment. Um, goodness, every time I read this verse, it just it hits me hard um, and it needs to hit you hard because this is the father's heart this is where the violins come in this is where the walls drop and this is it this is the moment of salvation friends while he was still a long way off his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him he ran to his son he threw his arms around him and he kissed him you see it Do you see it yet? The father was just waiting for this moment. I can just see him on the top of his wall surrounding his property, just eyes straining out in the distance, looking out for where his son might someday come home. His eyes are glued to the path right where the mist and the fog kind of cover it up. And I imagine he went up there every single day just praying and hoping and wishing with every fiber of his being that his son would come home. (laughs) And today's the day. He sees him and he's off to the races. He's running down the path to embrace his son. Like, guys, you ever seen an old man run? (laughs) Like, there's something beautiful about it. Like, things are jiggling that shouldn't be jiggling. Like, what is that? Like, it's beautiful. It's breathtaking. The image of a father desperate for his son to come home. And the second he sees him, he's streaking down the street, unashamed, undeterred, and his heart-filled compassion for him. And it's not a compassion that's heady. It's not a compassion that he has to think about to muster like... Oh, I wonder who that is. No, he knows exactly who it is. This compassion comes from praying night and day, crying out to heaven, begging, pleading for his lost son to just come home. And then when he does, nothing gets in the way of the father and the son at this moment. Notice, it's not just a handshake. It's not a hug. This is a sloppy wet kiss moment right here. There's salty tears. (laughs) There's a messy embrace. It's a full frontal hug. And the son starts to say his apology. The apology he's been working on the whole way home. The son said to him, Father, Dad, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Notice... 
Like, if you're reading verse by verse, you saw the son didn't get through his apology. The father interrupted him. The father doesn't even let him finish. The father was looking for him. And when he saw him, he ran to him. And when he got to him, he kissed him. And when he kissed him, he clothed him. And the heavenly father right now is dying to embrace you in the same way. Every moment you've been away, he's been waiting for you to come back. And he races to bring you back into his arms, to bring you back into the fold, and to clothe you with righteousness. If anyone confesses their sin, God is faithful and just and will forgive them their sins and clothe them in righteousness. Bring the fat calf. Let's kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate it. I love it. The father spares no expense. Been celebrating his son come home. He slaughters the big old calf they've been saving for a special moment, and they break out the banjos. At least I envision banjos and accordions and maybe a purple electric guitar. I don't know, but um, I'm going to say it again. The father spares no expense when his son comes home, and you need to know this. If you need to know anything today, your heavenly father spared no expense to purchase your ticket back home. Your freedom was bought with a price. You know the price. Sacrifice. Your freedom was bought with a price. It's Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus was sacrificed so that you could make your way home to God the Father. And without Christ, you're a slave to your sin. There's no escape. There's no way out. There's no way home. But this son of mine (laughs) was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. Do you hear amazing grace playing in the background yet, guys? He was dead and now he's back. He was lost and now he's found. And so they began to celebrate. The son wished that his father was dead. You remember that from the beginning of the story? And though he was dead to him, the son came home and he's back to life. He was in a wayward land, trapped in a desperate place, enslaved to his own bad decisions and regrets. And now he's found, safe and sound in the father's house and they they began to party. I know this is crazy, all right? But I want to do something right now. I want to give a God, our God in heaven, I want to give him a round of applause for his salvation. Don't you see this, guys? Like guys, this is your salvation. And you're going to give him a golf clap. He saved your life that day. You can come home, wayward soul. You can come home, dear child of God. You maybe have tried to do things your own way for so long, but now's the time to come home, to give it up. Give up your old ways and come to faith. Come back to the Father's house. He's not some useless old fuddy-duddy with silly rules and silly superstitions. He knows what's best for you. And he did everything, everything just to establish that relationship with you. Hear me now. Jesus Christ is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. He is the way home back to the Father you so desperately need. He is the truth that sets you free from your enslavement to sin, and he is the life you seek, the eternal life that you were made for, and it's yours when you would entrust your life for him. So I told you my bottom line before, but I want to say it again before we close. If you're not saved, you're enslaved. 
There's nothing God wants more for you than to see your soul saved. He died to purchase your heart, and it's time for you, like the prodigal, to come home. If you're not saved, you're enslaved, but our God is a father who wants to free his children. He did everything to ransom your freedom. Now tell me, Christian, let's, let's think about baseball here for a second. Are you safe if you step off the bag? No, you can be tagged out. Now, don't take this analogy too far because you can't lose your salvation. Don't hear me there. But I want you to hear this. You, dear child of God, will be just as desperate as any fatherless non-Christian if you aren't locked in the embrace of your heavenly father. If you want to be saved, you got to be locked in his embrace. Here's what I mean by that. By locked in the embrace of our heavenly father. I mean that you need to embrace the radical reality about the gospel. For some of you, that starts with reading it. Some of you, that starts with embracing every single word that's in that Bible and cherishing it and diving in deep. For some of you, goodness, you love Jesus, but you're forgetting you can't just embrace a head. You have to embrace the whole body when you give someone an embrace. What do I mean by that? Christ is the head of the church. The church is his body, and you need to embrace the church. That means for some of you, you need to get in a D3 group where you can look at the other stories in Luke 15, where you can look at the last half of this story. It's a good one. Um, and you can bear your soul to one another, and you can begin a closer walk with thee that is a discipleship journey that will see you through till kingdom come. Being locked in the embrace of our Heavenly Father means that you'd love your church with, just more, with more than just your mental assent and your attendance. It means that you'd love the church, Christ's body, with your time and your money. And it means that you would love the people in the church enough to forgive them, even when they're being super annoying. Embracing the radical reality about Jesus means you show up on Sunday not just to feed yourself, but to serve others, to be a ministry to them. It means singing and expressing yourself in worship because you don't know how you lifting your voice might encourage the people around you. I don't know about you, but I sing a little bit louder when someone's around me that's a little off key, all right? I'm telling you, you could encourage someone. You could be the body of Christ, but you gotta give it up. You gotta give up your enslavement to sin. You gotta repent. And it starts right here, guys. Starts with looking towards the Father's house and saying, I've done things on my way for too long and I need to do things your way. I made a mess of my life. Now I want your life for me. Whatever it is, I take it up, Christ. So now um, I want to close today by um, standing and I want to um, read a passage to you guys. I want you guys to read it with me. Go ahead and stand up with me. Um, this comes from Psalm 51. I see this passage, um, and I see this might have been the prayer of the, uh, this might have been the prayer of the prodigal. Come home. And I'm praying that it's your prayer today, no matter where you've gone, church, no matter where you've gone, wayward soul. Pray this with me. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sins, they're always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and you're justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. 
Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. So cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of, my, of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Father God, we're coming home. We're coming home because we've tried things our own way and we failed. We found the world wanting. We leave our pigsty behind, God, because we know in the Father's house there's blessing, there is love, there is grace. God, we're sorry for all of our sins. We're sorry for the mess we've made of our life, for the inheritance, the estate, the money we've wasted. We lay it down at your feet now. We say, God, it's yours. You're not a silly old fuddy-duddy with rules and superstitions. You are a loving God that longs to embrace us and teach us and guide us and lead us on to eternity, God. So we come with you right now. We are locked in your embrace, God. Thank you for accepting us. Thank you for loving us. We do not deserve to be loved. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. We now commit our lives to you. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentree Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentreeChurch.com.